A fabringen, in Yiddish a term meaning a joyous gathering, but it's really so much more. It's insight, it's inspiration, it's the bottom line. Join Rabbi Levi Avton, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. for the Fabringen, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Rabbi Levi Avton from Linksfield Shul. It's a privilege and an honor to be here with you live at the studio. And today we have something that hopefully you'll find interesting and a bit controversial, just to generate thoughts and conversation. Would love to hear your opinion. We're for bringing, we're having a conversation together. Our SMS number is 34519 and our studio number zero one zero one four zero three zero two zero. Our telegram zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine. And the question of the day is how important is tradition? How important is tradition to Judaism? How important is it to your identity? Would love to hear your thoughts. But to start off, let's put on some music. This is Thank You, Toda by Yonatan Scheinfeld. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avton on 101.9 High FM. Tradition. Tradition. Oh gosh, does everybody love tradition? Make a survey and ask a bunch of people, what does Judaism mean to you? What does religion mean to you? And very often, very, very often, the answer is tradition. Tradition somehow gets to the heart of people in a way that very few things do. People are very possessive of their tradition. People are very attached to their tradition. And therefore, years later, you can taste a food that is similar to the food that you grew up with and it brings such strong connection. You could, ha- you could go to a culture that's your own, even if it's on the other side of the world, and feel like you belong. And you could go to a different culture, a different tradition, and you feel very uncomfortable. Tradition makes us feel connected. Tradition plays a huge role in who we are. There's no question about it. And that's why you see that one of the things that lasts in the Jewish community in a way more than other areas is tradition. That means very often people will, um, you know, take away from themselves certain areas of observance. They'll decide to be a little lax in certain areas. But when it comes to tradition, people usually hold on and they'll still eat their gefilte fish and their kichel and their herring and their kitke and their canadles and their matzo balls and the whole, the whole megillah, as they say. People will love their tradition. It, it creates a sense of familiarity. It creates a sense of connection, belonging, and so much else. And yet, for the sake of just generating a conversation, I think it's overrated. And I'll tell you why. Let's unpack this together. If religion, if Judaism is all about tradition, then it becomes very complicated. How do you deal with somebody who doesn't have traditions? How do you deal with somebody who converted? How do you deal with somebody who came from a home that was Jewish but didn't share any traditions? 
Are they less? What often happens with traditions is instead of them being a way of feeling unique, they become a way of feeling better. You don't eat matzo balls on Pesach. What kind of Jew are you? You don't wear this kind of kippah. You don't wear this kind of Shabbos clothes. You don't wear, um, you don't talk in a certain language. You don't know Yiddish. Oh my gosh, really? Now, Yiddish is nice, and Kichel is nice, and matzo balls is nice, and yamis of a certain color are nice, but they're all traditions. And all too often, they get in the way of unity, they get in the way of connection, and they get in the way of growth. And they become a very cheap substitute to the real substance, because tradition only works within a framework. Tradition works within the framework of connection to God, humility, awareness that my tradition is not better than yours. It's just what's, what's familiar and what's comfortable, and that's okay. But when tradition becomes a way of degrading, when tradition becomes a way of making other people feel less because they don't share the tradition or because you feel that your tradition is elitist over theirs, I think it's counter counterproductive. You often find in community settings certain people that are very strong traditionalists, that they are the stalwarts against changing anything in tradition. For them, the single most important thing in life is holding on to a tradition. Even if it means destroying, even if it means hurting, because it's all about this is the only way and this is what I'm comfortable with and this is the way it's going to stay, even if it's counterproductive. Now again, let me be clear. Tradition's important, and traditions should not be changed as long as they're within, you know, the confines of Jewish law, as long as they're beautiful and not destructive, they must stay. But when it becomes a way of causing friction, when it becomes a way of being condescending to one another, when it comes in a way of growth, give you a small stupid example but it's a good example let's say you you're dealing with a young yuppie community and your tradition is to have kichel and herring at your weekly bracha and you invite all these fellows and they look at the kichel they smell the herring and they run for the hills how many more weeks are you going to be serving kichel and herring even though it's a beautiful ashkenazic tradition that came straight out of the shtetl you're not going to keep it up, hopefully, because m- more important than serving kichel and herring is having a community, is getting Jews to feel part of something, getting them to come to a service, getting them to feel a sense of belonging. And if the kichel and the herring add for that, great. If they don't add for that, then done. You want to keep on eating k- k- your kichel and herring? Fine. But if the community wants sushi, then give sushi. Now, that's different to, let's say, kosher. Kosher is not a tradition. Kosher is a fundamental mitzvah. And therefore, even if a, a person comes and says, I don't want kosher, we'll still say, well, this is what we offer. This is, we're not compromising our religion, heaven forbid. On the other hand, when tradition becomes a way of compromise, um, becomes as rigid and unflexible as religion, it often gets in the way. And 
when you want to analyze very often why certain communities go up and down, whether locally or internationally, very often it's demographics, very often it's people moving out, age groups, leadership, inspirational leadership, age dynamics, etc. But there are times, and all too many, where the single reason why certain communities rise and certain communities fall is based on how open they are to adapt to the world and to not, heaven forbid, throw away traditions, but to adapt them to our modern time. To say, you know what, you want sushi at the bracha, great. You want a choir that is more funky and more relevant, great. I'm not going to give you something that is archaic and tired just because that's what my grandmother liked. I'll try to find something that connects. I'll try to find a compromise. I'm not going to go from one extreme to the other because I don't want to hurt people. But ultimately, let's create a compromise. Let's create a connection. Let's figure out what works. And yet there are certain communities that I one time heard the expression that they rather die with the familiar than survive and thrive with adjusting. Familiar is so comfortable. It's it's where we belong. And yet people will fight change, fight accommodation, fight any change of nuance just because tradition overrides growth. Tradition overrides the future. Tradition should never override the future. Tradition has to work together with the future. It has to work. It has to connect. So, for example, I love Yiddish. I grew up with Yiddish. Yiddish is my first language. And traditionally, my grandparents spoke Yiddish on all sides. But if I'm going to come to my shul this Friday night and start lecturing in Yiddish, and there's more than one person remaining at the end of the sermon, I'll be lucky. But tradition, Yiddish... This shtetl, many of the rabbis used to speak 70, 80 years ago in Yiddish. Most people's grandparents in this town, in the Jewish community, spoke Yiddish. And yet, if Yiddish is what people want to hear, then we'll talk in Yiddish. If Yiddish is getting in the way of passing over the message, because nobody understands it, I'm not going to stand and preach literally to the walls. I won't offer the herring if that's not what you want. If you on Friday night don't resonate with chicken soup, then with pleasure we can make lots of other soups. Because ultimately, the priority is to bring us closer. The priority is to keep us united. The priority is to make people feel a connection. And if tradition helps that, great. If it doesn't help, then it's time to rethink it. What are your thoughts? This is 101.9 Chai FM here on Soul to Soul. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton on 101.9 High FM. You know Fiddler on the Roof, a famous play slash movie, etc. During the 70s and even earlier, that story that Shalom Aleichem originally wrote in Yiddish, became extremely popular and came to define for many people what it meant to be a Jew in the 20th century. And the movie had a lot of strong points and a lot of weak points, in my opinion. And one of the weak points was that they they bungled tradition together with religion. In other words, when the guy's screaming, tradition, tradition, and his children are saying no... So, yes, some of his traditions were archaic and were irrelevant for the time. But his tradition, for example, that he wants his third child to marry a Jew, wasn't a tradition. It was fundamental to his identity. 
And often when we use the word tradition, we mix it up and we make a challenge. We make a challenge between, let's say, Shabbos and kosher and a Jewish marriage to the foods we eat and how long our Pesach Seder takes. You know, I remember growing up often, when I grew up, it was how late your Pesach Seder went. Jeez, you went till two in the morning. Wow, fantastic. Then later on in life, it became how quick was your Pesach Seder? You finished by 1030. How did you do it? Which part did you skip? No, that's impossible. How did you do it, etc. Now, these things are cute. You want you have a tradition to start the Seder at 7 and finish at 10.30. Fantastic. But what if your kid's engaging and wants to have more time and everyone's involved? You have to finish 10.30. What's wrong if you finish 11? On the other hand, you have a tradition to finish your Seder at 2. That's the way you do it. But everyone's falling asleep and the only person staying up is you. So is that tradition worth holding on to or is it worth focusing on the crowd and trying to giving them, trying to give them a positive experience? I had one fellow tell me, he says, the, the tradition and that they always go to eat at a certain family member and that person runs the longest Seder literally till 2, 3 in the morning. He says, by the time it's done, everybody's on the phone, everybody's away from the table and the person literally is reading every word and giving 50 commentaries on each sentence. And I ask myself, that's fantastic. It's a beautiful tradition to share 50 commentaries on every sentence. At what expense? The mitzvah of the night, the commandment of the night, the mandate of the night is to have a seder and to make people around the table feel connected, to make people feel engaged. That's the mandate of the night. And if what you're doing brings people closer, great. If not, rethink. As long as you're not changing the fundamentals, rethink. And when you look around our community and you see which organizations are thriving, they're the ones that are holding on to the important fundamentals and are not willing to compromise on them and yet are willing to come up with new traditions and new ways of presenting an idea. Once upon a time, a rabbi's sermon was 25 minutes, 45 minutes in certain shuls. Today, you get up, no matter how dynamic you think and no matter how much you love your own voice, as a rabbi, if you get up and talk for 25 minutes every Friday night, you will not impress the crowd. That's not what they want. They want to be able to come here, have a nice service, Hear a decent 7-minute to 12-minute Russia, some people will say even shorter, and leave. Now, I want to talk for 25 minutes, says the rabbi. Yeah, but it's not about what you want. It's about what the crowd needs. But traditionally, we spoke for 25 minutes. Wonderful. And traditionally, Yom Kippur service has finished at 4 in the afternoon. But that's not where the people are at. And as long as you're not changing the fundamentals, why hold on to traditions that are counterproductive? Traditions aren't law. They are just the culture. And the culture has to work for the time. Story goes, you'll like the story, Craig. This rabbi gives a four-hour sermon. He's loving it. He's never had so much fun. Anyways, after the four-hour sermon, a woman walks over to him and says, Rabbi, I, you don't know me. I'm a member in your community. I work on you know, TV, on the local TV station. You spoke so well that I would love you to share that message with the wider audience. The only issue is, Rabbi, I only have an hour a week. I could only allocate you an hour. Do you think you could squeeze your speech into one hour? And the rabbi thinks about it for a moment. Mm, I'll take this out. I'll take that out. Yeah, I, I think I could do it. I could speak for an hour. Great. I'll get back to you, Rabbi. Fine. She calls the rabbi three days later and says, Rabbi, I have good news and bad news. I could get you the show. That's the good news. Bad news is... I can only get you 25 minutes. 
25 minutes. Can I, can I not? You know what? I could talk in 25 minutes. Great, she says. I'll get back to you. She calls back three days later and she says, Rabbi, I don't know how to say this. The station is not willing to give you 25 minutes. They're only willing to give you 12. Can you give the message in 12? Yes, I can. Great. I'll meet you on Tuesday, she says. Fantastic. Tuesday morning, she calls the rabbi and says, Rabbi, this is a last minute. This show is in a few hours. All I can give you, the changes have been made. I could give you four minutes. Can you give your message in four minutes? And the rabbi says, yes, I can. To which she responds, then why didn't you? <laughs> why didn't you? Like, why did you talk for four hours if you could give the message in four minutes? All too often, we hold on to things that are comfortable and familiar. We all love familiar. We're creatures of habit. And that's okay. It's stunning as long as it's not getting in the way of the important things. As long as it's not hurting the priorities. We have to engage with youth. We have to engage with young adults. And if that means adjusting to the times, and again, let me clarify for the 50th time on this show, I'm not talking about changing the fundamentals. The law is the law. Halakha is halakha. But if they don't want chicken soup, then don't offer chicken soup. It doesn't say anywhere in Al-Khah it has to be chicken soup. And it doesn't say anywhere that it has to be matzo balls. And it doesn't say anywhere how to set up the bracha. Or how many songs the choir has to sing. Or how big the choir has to be. Or does there need to be a choir in the first place. All these things are important as long as they add vitality. But if they come in the way of growth then what's the point? It boggles the mind. How many communities in our town right now can offer so much growth, have such a bright future, and yet they feel they don't? And often the only difference between having a bright future and a non-bright future is willing to engage the present and the future. I was sitting with a group of people who are part of a community that's struggling. And I asked them a simple question. I said, don't you realize how much future your community has? All you need to do is a few tweaks. Don't change the fundamentals, heaven forbid. But just tweak this, tweak that. Make the choir more relevant. Make the sermons a bit shorter. Make the bracha more vibey. Do things, etc. Try, attempt. No, 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 no. This is the way we've done things. Great. But then why are we talking about closing down? Why are we talking about the end? That's why. Because we're not embracing. And you know, often you'll talk to people and say, why is your community struggling? And they'll come with the typical excuses. Which goes something like this. Well, you know, it's the shtibles. It's the small communities that get in the way. To which my response is, really, do you want the shtibles to close down and, they, they, and all these people come to your community? Is that going to solve anything? The Stiebels are catering for a very niche group of, of people, a wonderful group of people who want a certain standard, who want a, a sense of familiarity, and that's okay. The reason we are not filling up has very little to do with Stiebels and very little to do with demographics. I'm sorry. Because if you do the math and you count, 
What percent of Jews in this town walked into Shul on Yom Kippur? If you count every single seat that was filled in all the shuls in Johannesburg and Cape Town on Yom Kippur, big shuls and small shuls, shtibuls and big UOS shuls alike, less than 50% of local Jews walk into Shul Yom Kippur. That means that despite immigration, despite demographics, we still have thousands, if not tens of thousands, of people who are not engaged in community. So to blame emigration, it's a nice excuse, it's a convenient excuse, to blame the Stiebels is a nice and convenient excuse, but it doesn't answer the fundamental question, why am I not attracting more people in this community? Because there are thousands of people who haven't found a community that they feel comfortable and they belong to. And my community, your community, can be that place. That's the mandate. Instead of us looking for reasons why things shouldn't work, let's make things work. It is so possible. There are so many organizations in town right now that are cutting edge, that are booming, and that are even having success in fundraising, success in engaging communities, success in offering people a bright future. All it is is changing the message or tweaking the message in a way that connects to people in our time, offering an optimistic message, offering a message that the best days are ahead of us, offering a message that Judaism is not only something that your grandparents found precious, but that is something relevant in your life today and that we have a message for you. We have something to tell you where you're at in your situation, in your dynamics, where your life is playing right now. Judaism has a message, and it has a relevant message, and it has a beautiful message, and it has a message that will bring you light and meaning. It will make you a better husband or wife. It will make you a better father or mother. It will make you a more ethical and more decent businessman. There is a message. If you belong to community, you will feel a sense of belonging. You will see what all the statistics have shown, that when people belong to a community, they feel so much healthier. It literally lengthens their life. These are the messages to offer. How many people can we attract to a community by, by saying this? <sighs> you know why you should join our community? Because your grandmother used to sit in this seat. Lovely. There are a few sentimentalists out there. And for those sentimentalists, it'll work. 5% of community is sentimentalist. But for the other 95% of the community, it's very nice for them to know which seat their grandmother or grandfather sat. But that's not what's going to bring them week in and week out to community. What's going to bring them is connection. What's going to bring them is relevance. What's going to bring them is that they feel that this time spent in community every week is adding meaning to them, not just playing on some nostalgia, not just giving them a piece of herring. They don't have to come to community. They could go to Fagels and buy herring. It cannot be that what that yesterday has to hijack tomorrow. Yesterday is beautiful and we must celebrate it. And tomorrow is beautiful and we must prepare for it. And if yesterday's traditions help tomorrow, then beautiful. But if yesterday's traditions are hurting tomorrow, then we have to ask ourselves, how can I create new traditions without hurting the fundamentals? Where Shabbos is still Shabbos, but it talks to somebody in the 21st century. 
where Shabbos maybe spoke to somebody a hundred years ago before cell phones, it spoke to them in one way. Today, we, we can market and share Shabbos in a way that engages with people who feel fragmented because of technology. Today, where people feel that they don't have enough time with family versus once upon a time, we can offer Shabbos as a time to sit with family. If you spoke to a community a hundred years ago and you told them Shabbos is a time to sit with family, they would tell you I sit with family every night. And at that time, Shabbos's relevance to people was different. Obviously, the, the, the fundamental doesn't change, and that is God wants us to keep Shabbos. But its relevance, its meaning to people is very time-sensitive. And a hundred years ago, what, what made people feel connected to Shabbos was that world and what they needed out of Shabbos. And today, what we tell people is, you could spend two hours with family. You can let go of your addiction to your phone for 25 hours. You can walk and engage and feel part of nature. You can enjoy a service without feeling you have to rush anywhere. Because that's our time. And that is what we have to create. We have to create a haven where people come to community and feel that. Because if people come to my community and they feel what people felt a 100 years ago, I'm failing. There are certain things that are the same. It's the same Judaism. It's the same Judaism. But it's packaging. It's way of connecting. It's engagement is different. It's understanding. That's the Torah. Torah doesn't change. At the same time, Torah talks to each generation in its language. And that's the beauty, that although it doesn't change, the fundamentals don't change, its language and its its relevance changes to each generation. It talks. That's what Chief Rabbi Goldstein often quotes that statement that says, Torah talks in the language of tomorrow. It's a beautiful statement. It talks to your world. And I can't give you a vert. I can't talk on the radio show as if I'm talking in the 80s or the 50s or the 20s, 100 years ago. I have to ask myself, where where am I? Where are my listeners at? Which world are we walking? And how does Judaism offer a message for now? And it's interesting because people often take two different extremes. There's one extreme which is, you know, other movements that's outside orthodoxy. That often they say, let's change the fundamentals to move, to move with the time. Shabbos is no longer relevant. Let's play around with Shabbos. Kosher is no longer relevant. Let's remove kosher. Heaven forbid. Then there's the other people who make tradition as important as religion. And they sit there saying, we're not going to change anything. That's the way we do things. And if we lose the whole community and we have to shut down tomorrow, then so be it. And they're both dangerous approaches. The first approach is changing God's word, and heaven forbid for us to do that. Hashem's message is relevant for all time. And that's why we're so proud in, in this community of the proud orthodoxy of the Jewish community over here, where people appreciate, regardless of their own standards and where they're at, they appreciate that there's a single narrative. At the same time, the other extreme, which says, I will offer a product that's irrelevant just because that's what my grandmother liked, is destructive. That's not Judaism. Each generation has its message. There's a beautiful, powerful statement that our sages teach in the Talmud, which says, Yiftach Pidoire Kishmul 
there were two, there were many leaders in Jewish history, but in the early years of the Jewish community in Israel, post Moshe Rabbeinu, post Moses, there were two figures that could not be any different. One was the prophet Samuel Shmuel. He ended up crowning two kings. He first crowned King Shaul, King Saul, and then he crowned King David, David HaMelech. He was extremely pious and holy and was the child of a great woman, Hannah, who we read about on the Haftorah and Rosh Hashanah, an incredibly transformative figure. And then there was many years later a, a man who came from a very, um, I guess, dodgy background, uncomfortable background, and... He was only appointed because the Jews needed his brawn, not necessarily his brain, to win a war that that the, the local uh, neighbors were fighting against them. And they they approached this guy, Yiftach, who was an outcast of the community, and they asked him to lead the Jewish people. And he says, on condition that you accept me as your leader, blah, 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 a whole terrible story where he says that the first thing that will come out of his house, if he wins, he makes a deal with God, he'll sacrifice, which ends up being his daughter. And then there's a whole debate what he did with his daughter. Did he actually sacrifice her or sent her into exile? But he was a very different character than Shmuel by any stretch of imagination. Comes the Talmud and tells us, Yiftach that Yiftach in his generation is like Shmuel in his generation. In other words, respect the mandate and respect the message because he's your leader for your time. If by divine providence that's leader, then he's engaging in our time. In other words, each generation has its leader. Each generation has its message. Each generation has its nuance. And therefore, yes, we often quote sages of yesteryear. We'll give a drush and we'll give a vart of somebody who lived 200 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. But ultimately, when we look for guidance in our day-to-day, we look for the people of today and we look for the great sages and the wise people of today and say, talk to me. You're in my world. Give me guidance. Offer me a step. Because Judaism has to talk in the language of today. There are so many beautiful ideas to rejuvenate communities. There are so many beautiful ideas to rejuvenate inspiration, connection, passion. But the first thing we have to be willing to is embrace that scary but most wonderful world, word, and that's change. To talk in today's vernacular without changing the fundamentals but changing the nuance, changing the language, because ultimately it's about us connecting to Hashem in our world where we're at today. This is 101.9 High FM and Rabbi Levi Aftson on Soul to Soul. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Aftson on 101.9 High FM. From Linksfield Shul, and today we're talking about tradition and its incredible relevance, and the times that we have to ask ourselves which traditions are helping us with the, with our community and which ones aren't. And as I mentioned earlier, it's such a nuanced conversation because when, the, when we mix up what are fundamentals and what aren't fundamentals, like in the, in the movie Fiddler on the Roof where everything Jewish becomes a tradition, that becomes dangerous because there's certain things that we cannot change. Those are just who we are. It's our identity. And then there are things which are, truthfully, in the correct word, tradition. In other words, it's a custom. You grew up in an Ashkenazi home from Lithuania. 
and your custom is to eat X food on X day and uh, dress a certain way, etc. And this person is originally from Morocco and they eat this food on this day, etc. And these are all lovely and wonderful stuff, you know, and I'll be honest, Fardi food is delicious and I, I don't think in any way is it a crime for an Ashkenazi Jew to l- enjoy their food. <laughs> Couscous and, gosh, I, I, Malawach and there's so many foods that personally I love and shakshuka and God knows what else. And there's nothing wrong with celebrating other cultures while still being proud of my culture. I'm very proud of where I come from. I'm proud of my family. I'm proud of my traditions and my Pesach Seder and how we do things and... Um, you know, how we, which songs we sing. They're all nice. They're all fantastic. But if I'm going to sit there sitting around the table with people who don't know the songs I sing, and I'm going to sit there saying, okay, everybody, now you're going to sit there listening to a deep Hasidic melody that I enjoyed listening to in Yeshiva, and it takes about eight minutes because it's a deep, long melody without any words, and I'm asking you to fully engage Close your eyes. I've tried it, by the way. <laughs> it usually doesn't work. Ah, um, mama. Whatever. If that's your culture and that's what you enjoy, fantastic. If it's not your culture, maybe one day you'll appreciate it. But if you guys want to sing Vehisha Amda or Vizakaini because that's what you want, great. Then we'll sing Vehisha Amda. Or Chatanu Lefanecha or whatever it is because this stuff is just, it's, it's the, the flavor. And if the, this flavor engages with you more than that flavor, then we'll engage with you with that flavor. Because the message is so much more important than the package. And when the message gets hurt because we are unwilling to listen to the package that people want to be spoken to, then we lose out. And too many Jewish leaders, too many leaders in general, are, how, how does the expression go? Not seeing the forest for the trees and forgetting and saying, yes, I know, you, Rabbi, you really want to talk on Rosh Hashanah for an hour and a half because that's what you were taught to do in your school in 1962. But whether 1962 it, it worked then, I don't know. I wasn't there yet. But definitely 2020, people do not want to come to Shul on a Rosh Hashanah and hear an hour and a half. I don't care how well prepared you are. That's not where people are at. So figure out a way how to say it in 12 minutes. I one time heard a great statement that says it takes five minutes to prepare a five-hour speech and five hours to prepare a five-minute speech. Figure out how to say it short. Figure out how to use the vocabulary that people talk to today. Understand where they're at. I don't think it's an age thing. In other words, I don't think a, a young rabbi is any more relatable than the older rabbi or a, 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 an older, pa- you know, the generation gap where parents can't talk to their kids. I think it's all excuses. Ultimately, it's about listening. So, yes, the parent could be 65 and the kid could be 12. But all, the, the mandate is just for the parent to listen. Where is your kid? Their soul is alive. They're beautiful. They're fantastic. They want to engage. But maybe the language that you are speaking to them is just it's crossing over their heads. So listen. Listen to where they're at. Be intuitive. Understand them. And you'll find a way. This excuse, oh, 
the younger generation, they don't have the same values as the older generation. First of all, everyone's been saying that since Adam and Eve. And second of all, it doesn't answer anything. It's just a good, convenient excuse to justify, you know, Rabbi, why we're closing down Ashul because the youth don't come anymore. Why don't they come? That's not the question. Oh, you know, the, the, you know, sorry, it is the question. It's the, the excuse is not the excuse. It's not like, oh, shame, you know, they just don't want it. Why? Don't you understand that everyone's looking for meaning? And if you offer them the right thing, they want to come. There is nobody in this world that's not looking for meaning. And as the world becomes often more hectic or more unstable in people's minds and perception or reality, people look for meaning. And we have meaning to offer. And if they're not coming, it's because we're not talking to them. So let's talk better. Let's talk their language. They want to hear. As long as we're talking in the language they listen to. This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton on 101.9 Chai FM. So this wonderful fellow approaches me about a month ago and says, Rabbi, it's all fantastic. It's all great. Our community wants to innovate and change, but we don't have money. It's often, you know, other than immigration and... Um, demographics, that's often one of the top excuses why people give up. But here's a funny thing about money. The world is wealthier than it's ever been before. That's the fact. And our community is wealthier than it's ever been before. I truly believe so. The only difference is people don't like investing in something that doesn't have promise. The average person who has money and is a, a philanthropist wants to know why you. What are you offering? What value? And often people have it wrong. They think first comes the money, then comes the vision. First comes the money, then comes the growth. No. No, 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 no. First comes the growth. First comes the vision. First comes the ability to articulate why you. Why should people invest in you? Why do you have a future? Why should your shul stay open? Because it's been open for 60 years? That's not a good reason. 60 years is a good run. Why should it be open for the next 60 years? Give a reason. Give a reason that doesn't have to do with the past, but has to do with the present and the future. And that vision, if you believe it in your bones, I strongly and wholeheartedly believe The money comes, the demographics come, and all these other issues solve themselves because people are attracted to something that's positive and future-focused. So we spoke in this show about a lot of stuff. We spoke about tradition. We spoke about community. If I had to sum it up, I would be like this. We live in a time of unparalleled yearning for meaning. Millions around the world, billions are looking for meaning. And we, whether religious communities, family, families, outreach communities, have so much to offer. We just have to ask ourselves one question. Is my language and nuance getting in the way of the message? Are my traditions getting away in my fundamentals? Is my gefilte fish chasing people away because they want salmon? Then leave the gefilte fish and bring in the salmon. There's no mitzvah to have gefilte fish. It's nice. If people like it, continue having it. But if people want Moroccan fish, then bring Moroccan fish. And if people want sushi, then bring sushi. 
And if people want pumpkin soup instead of chicken soup, then bring pumpkin soup. Because ultimately it's about getting you around the table. It's about talking to you where you're at. There is so much growth opportunity in our community. There is so much growth. And we shouldn't be looking for excuses why we're not growing. Because ultimately there's one and only one way to grow. And that's to stop excusing and start innovating. This is 101.9 Chai FM.